Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to week three of Summer at the Movies. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been kind of unpacking some popular films over the last year to look at the truths that they hold for our lives. Ultimately, movies are just stories, and most stories contain a deeper truth, and many of them often correspond to the truths that exist in Scripture. So this morning, we're going to look at a film that maybe you've seen, maybe you went to go see with your family, and we're going to be examining it for maybe what the truths that are maybe just below the surface and what they mean for our lives. So to start this morning, I want to ask you a question. When you think of what it means to be super, particularly in the realm of superheroes, if you were to begin to create a list of all of the actions, the attributes, the capabilities of someone who we would define as super, what would be some of the things that you'd start to say? Maybe you'd say, oh, they're they have incredible strength or incredible speed, or maybe they're really fast. They can jump tall buildings in a single bound. Maybe they have a special power that nobody else in the world has. Maybe they can fly. Maybe they can shoot things out of their eyeballs. We would start to list all of these actions and attributes that make somebody super. Now think about your own life. Think about the environments that you find themselves in. Think about your circle of friends, your work, your career, your family. What would it mean to be super in that arena or in those arenas? The places you find yourself, the people that you spend your time with, what would it look like to be super? How would you define super in those capacities? Maybe it's that you'd be the most successful lawyer in your firm. Nobody could bring in more business than you could. Or maybe it means that you are the best parent on the planet. Your kids feel so supported by you. You've been able to remove every obstacle and barrier in their path so that they could be as successful as possible. Maybe it's not how successful you are, but how successful you allow somebody else to be. Maybe that's what it means to be super in your world. Maybe it means that you're the strongest guy at your gym or the strongest woman at your gym or nobody can hold that pose as long as you can. We all have these definitions of what it would mean to be super. Maybe for you, nobody throws a better party than you. Your home is perfect. Everybody who walks in wishes that they had what you had. As you start to build those lists and compile all the things of what it would mean to be super, what if you then no longer had access to any of those things? What if the things that defined you as being super, you were no longer able to do, no longer able to achieve or acquire, participate in, you were cut off from all of those things? Well, that's what happens to the characters in this movie we're going to look at. About 14 years ago, Incredibles, the first episode comes out, and it introduces us to this family called the Parr family. It's composed of a dad, Bob Parr, who's Mr. Incredible. And he has a wife who her superhero is Elastigirl. She can stretch and do all of these things. Bob's got super strength. He's almost indestructible. They get married and they have kids who also have superpowers. Their daughter, Violet, she has a couple of powers. She can create these force field things. I'm still trying to understand. And then she can also become invisible. Uh, those are some of her powers. And then they have a son whose name is Dash. 
and Dash has super speed in every category and capacity in Dash's life. Some of you, maybe you feel like your child is also Dash. And then they have this baby named Jack-Jack, who is likely maybe most of your favorite characters in The Incredible World. Jack-Jack, we thought in the first installment of The Incredibles, was just an ordinary average baby. And as we come to see at the end of the first movie and then all throughout this movie, Jack-Jack not, has not one or two, but 17 different superpowers. <laughs> and so Incredibles 2 picks, off, picks up where Incredibles 1 ends. This family of heroes, of supers, as they're called in the film, find themselves at the beginning of the film trying to defeat this bad guy called the Underminer. And in the process of doing battle with the Underminer, a whole lot of damage is done to the city of Municiburg, where they live, and the government enforces a strict rule, a no-supers policy. And this is the starting conflict that sets our family off in motion. So the Parr family finds himself in this struggle because they have all of these powers, they have all of these super abilities, but they're no longer able to use them. And so you see this family going through, in a sense, this identity crisis of what does it mean to be super if I can't do all of the things that it used to mean to be super? And so as the movie goes along, there's some other characters that are introduced into the film and they come up with the idea that there needs to be a PR campaign to reintroduce the value of superheroes into the public's eye again. And so they recruit Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl, and Frozone to help out kind of rebranding what it means to be super. Now, much to Mr. Incredible's surprise, the hero that they want to start with, the super that they want to roll out as the face of this new PR campaign is not Mr. Incredible. It's his wife, Elastigirl. And so what you see is Mr. Incredible begin to go through a similar crisis of identity. He's always been incredible. And what does it mean when he now has to take a back seat and he has to let somebody else be the face of what it means to be super? Not only does he have to take a back seat to his wife, he now has to step into a role of raising his family while she goes off and fights crime. Now you can imagine being a dad who's never spent a lot of time at home thrust into all of the household duties of raising kids and keeping the household together. It proves to be far more difficult than he anticipated. And so he goes through the anticipated struggles that a single father in this environment would go through, especially with children who have superpowers. So we're going to look at a scene that's a phone call between Bob and his wife. His wife has just had the opportunity to be successful in her first attempt to uh, demonstrate her superpowers and to save the city. And Bob's just had his first incident. Mr. Incredibles had his first incident of trying to raise this family and keep all of the things together. So let's take a look. No dad here can relate to anything that they just saw. <laughs> A lot of elbows while the, the clip was showing. <laughs> I can see you even though. So there Mr. Incredible is, and he's faced with the reality that everything that used to be available to him, all of the ways that he used to get to participate in being a super, he's no longer able to participate in. In fact, he, not only is he not able to participate in, but he has to watch somebody else 
do it. And so there he is, he's struggling, understanding who he's supposed to be in the absence of all of the traditional ways that he's expressed his super abilities. Trying to raise the kids, helping his son with math, trying to coach his daughter through her first date, dealing with a baby with 17 superpowers, all of the struggles of home life that he's never had to deal with because he's Mr. Incredible. But there he is, not able to be Mr. Incredible. In fact, he's in this new role that doesn't feel anything close to what it means to be super. He's in the role of dad, of parent, of keeper of the house. And this is really difficult for him. You see the frustration that he has while he gets to hear about his wife's adventures and all of the ways that she gets to live out what it means in his mind to be super. And there he is stuck in this ordinary, boring, routine existence. But there ends up being a little bit of hope for Mr. Incredible. As he's struggling to keep his family together, he has this conversation with his daughter. How can Mr. Incredible be super if he's not doing any of the things that it means to be super? He's not saving people. He's not defeating bad guys. He's not beating people up and rescuing those who are in need. He's just dad. How could he be successful being a super at home? And the movie takes off from there, and there's a lot of other things that it talks about and deals with. But that's where we're going to leave the movie and talk about what would it mean for us to rethink what it means to be super in our own lives. We all have this traditional understanding of what success looks like of what a super version of ourselves, a super version of our life, our family, our career would look like. And it's probably highlighted and hallmarked by all of these big things. But the reality is, it's not the big things that create a super life. In fact, the big things actually work against what we think and come to know as being super. Because the big things, they don't last. You get the promotion, your kid makes that special team, they get into that school, and you think, ah, I've done it. I'm now defined by this thing that I've accomplished. I have success. Life's gonna be better because of this thing that I've done. And that joy and that elation, it lasts for just a little bit. And then it fades. And then you're on to the next thing, the next version of what it means to be super. Nobody ever stays at the current definition of what it means to be super. We're always moving the bar higher and higher and higher. In fact, if you find yourself in a particularly successful period of your life in this present moment, I want you to think back to five years ago. If you were to get to go back in time and tell yourself, the five years ago version of yourself, where life would be today, my guess is five years ago you would say, that's all I'd ever want. If I could get to that place, then I would have made it. Then I would satisfy my definition of what it means to be super. But come on, we know what happens. You in this present moment have a new definition of what it means to be super. The place that you're at that would be satisfactory five years ago was not satisfactory anymore. The bar keeps moving, the goal keeps changing, the amount that you need 
is always in flux. That's the deadly allure of success, is that it's never constant. I read this quote from an interview with a highly successful pop star. You'll recognize this person's name at the end of their quote. For some of our younger audience, you might not know who this is, but everyone over the age of about 20 will recognize this person. And at the time that this person was singing and creating music, nobody was more famous. Nobody sold out arenas like this person did. Nobody was more successful than this person. And yet, reflecting back on her success, on all of the things that she's accomplished, this is what she had to say. I've always had an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I pushed past one spell of it and discovered myself as a special human. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. And then I become special and then I become mediocre. And then I become special and then I become mediocre. I become super and then I become average over and over and over because the definition of success is always moving. She goes on. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Madonna. The material girl herself struggles with this constant changing of what it means to be successful, what it means to be special, what it means to be somebody, what it means to be super. The moment she achieves it, the definition changes. The moment she gets all of the things that she thinks will satisfy the definition of what it means to be super in her life, the moment she has all those things, she realizes how meaningless and empty and hollow they are. And so what do we do? We go after more, a higher status, more concerts, more albums, more awards, more fame. And then when we get to that place, we realize, oh, it doesn't satisfy this need I have to be somebody. It doesn't bring me any meaning or fulfillment at all. It just leaves me tired and exhausted. It's similar to the way that the ladder of success works. Unlike this ladder, the moment that we start climbing, we actually don't get any closer to the top. There's no top to the ladder of success. In fact, if it wouldn't have been so difficult to bring on stage, I would have rather had a Stairmaster because that's really what <laughs> being super is like. Because if you've ever been on a Stairmaster or watched somebody pumping away on a Stairmaster, what you learn is that the moment you stop, you drop. The only way the Stairmaster works is if you keep moving and you keep climbing higher and higher and higher. But the reality of a Stairmaster, which is different than the reality of a ladder, is you actually don't get any higher. You stay in the same place over and over and over again. Some of you do this for hours. 
And while you climb a lot of stairs, you stay at the same elevation that you have been the entire time. That's what happens to this world's definition, our culture's understanding of what it means to be successful. It may look like you're burning through a lot of calories. It may look like to other people that you're moving higher and higher and higher up the ladder of success. There may be a reality to your income. My income has tripled, quadrupled over the last 10 years, whatever it may be. There might be some measurements that do change. But the sad reality is the measurement that's most important, how you feel about it all, how you feel about you, despite it all, that rarely changes. Commiserate with the success that you experience. The higher you climb, the more you stay in the same place and the more worn out you feel. And so you pump harder and climb more and you don't get any higher and you just get more tired. Over and over and over again. This doesn't feel all that stable, so I'm gonna come down. That would be a very different sermon metaphor if I fell. (laughs) We do this because we don't think that there's any alternative. We look left and we look right. We see all of the people around us in our area, the group of people that we use to measure ourselves up against, the way that we look and observe to help create the definition of what it means for ourselves to be successful. Well, that's what everybody else does. That must be the way that we have to do it. That must be the only way that we can come to understand what it means to be super in our own lives. It's to pursue being super the same way that everybody else pursues being super. If I want to be successful, if I want to feel like a success, if I want to be somebody, I've got to pursue becoming somebody the way that everybody else in the world pursues becoming somebody. And we see them churning and climbing and we see them moving higher and higher. But what we don't realize is the thing that you realize when you're on that Stairmaster. Everybody else is just as worn out as you are. Nobody's any happier. All we do is create more anxiety, more wanting, more yearning. The appetite gets larger and larger for more and more success because The success today doesn't satisfy the way it would have five years ago, just like the success that we see five years from now won't satisfy the way that it would today then. It never ends. There has to be a better way. There has to be a different way to understand what it would mean to be somebody. Unfortunately for us, Scripture points to what that looks like. There was a church in a city called Philippi that was struggling with this very same dynamic. They look around the city around them and they see all of these citizens and they're pursuing success. They're pursuing becoming somebody in a very specific way that is very similar to the way that we pursue today. Status, wealth, power, achievement, accomplishment, notoriety, recognition, likes and followers, and the way that they measured likes and followers. That all led to influence, which all meant that you were becoming somebody super. And in contrast and comparison and criticism 
of the observations of the way that everybody else was living, the Apostle Paul writes these words of encouragement, of correction to this church. Say, no, 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 no. The way that you're trying to pursue becoming someone is not the way that we're supposed to pursue becoming someone. There's actually something we need to do and we need to flip this whole paradigm up, paradigm up on its head. There's a different way and a better way to pursue becoming somebody. And so Paul penned these words. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, chasing after success, pursuing what it means to be super for themselves, instead of doing the thing that everybody else is doing in the same way that everybody else is doing, even though it doesn't contribute at all to their happiness and sense of meaning and fulfillment, here's what I want you to do instead. Watch out for what's better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. If you want to really become somebody, adopt the attitude that Jesus had. And then he goes on to tell us what that attitude looks like. He goes on to tell us what it means to truly become somebody. Because it's not about pursuing your own interests. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself. It wasn't about achieving. It wasn't about acquiring. It wasn't about more for Jesus. It was actually the inverse. It was the opposite. It wasn't about how much he could get or do. It was about how much he could give. How much he could empty himself by taking the form of a servant Someone called to live out their life in service to others. Someone called to give their life for others. To live in relationship and orientation to the needs of others. And by becoming like human beings. Was God. Becomes human. Paul goes on. And when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself. He did not try to climb as high as he could. He did not try to see how far he could achieve or how much he could gain or all of the ways in the traditional sense that he could be somebody. No. That wasn't what Jesus was about. He humbled himself. He took the low position. He sacrificed. He gave. He served. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient. even to the point of death, death on a cross. Instead of climbing high, Jesus sat low. Jesus didn't try to hobnob with the who's who of his time. But through his service, through his attention with those who were common, overlooked, ordinary, he ended up coming face to face with the who's who of his time. And because of his sacrifice and his willingness to be obedient even to the point of death on a cross, which is the cruelest and most inhumane version of death, because of that, God highly honored him and he gave him a name above all names. Jesus didn't look to place himself up on the ladder of success. That's not how he understood what it means to be somebody. Instead, he placed himself on the cross and recognized that by living for others and giving his life for others, 
that was actually the truest measure of what it would mean to be somebody, what it would mean to be super. And so Paul says, if you want to know what it means to be somebody, if you want to know what it means to really be successful, to truly be super, look at the man up on the cross. That's what it means. You say, Stephen, I, I get that. I believe that. But I also need to keep the lights on in my house and provide for my family. Like, how do I reconcile my desire to want to be successful in the sense that I want to be able to provide for my family, to be there for my family, to, to do all of the things for my family? How do I hold these two things in tension? And I think it comes back to what Paul said. You have to have the attitude of Christ. Nowhere in Scripture does it say it's wrong to be successful. Nowhere does it say it's wrong to achieve. Where it does say it's wrong is when you love that success and you love that achievement more than you love God. That's the problem. When success and achievement are the goal in and of themselves, you've missed the point. So Paul says, listen, achieve, earn, be successful, but you have to maintain the attitude that Christ did. Recognizing that it's only in the way that you use what you've been given, the way that you serve other people, the way that you give your life for others, that is the truest measurement of what it means to be super. I want you to imagine with me for a moment what it would look like in your business, what it would look like in your volunteer circle, what it would look like in your family if you begin to adopt the attitude of Christ. Instead of asking, what can I do to achieve more, to become more, what if you started asking, how could I help other people succeed? How could, how could I leverage my life in service of others? What would it look like if I adopted the attitude that Christ had to begin to be obedient in the way that I put others first? How would, let's start small. How would that change your relationship? How would that change your marriage if you begin to think that way? Not about all the things you need from the other person, but all the ways that you could serve the other person. Imagine what that could do to your house and your family. Imagine what it could do to your circle of friends. And imagine what it could do if this church, if we got that right. If every day when we woke up and we walked out the doors of our home, we begin to adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Not about what, what we could do to become more for ourselves, to become more super, but the way that we could leverage our lives, to give our lives, to be obedient in the way that we served other people. I think we would underestimate the impact that it could have on our community and on this city and on people we would never even meet. Paul ends this description of all of the ways that we're supposed to live like Christ by saying, if you could do this, church, you'd be like the stars in the sky. You'd be different. You'd stand out in contrast. You'd radiate light in such a way that people millions of miles away could look up and see you because it was no longer all about you, but about the way that you loved others. My prayer for us is that we would begin to make that shift. 
begin to let go of the need to try to climb higher and begin to adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. If we could do that, then we'd truly be super. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you in this moment acknowledging that it's in your example that we aspire to live. Being God, you took the form of man and humbled yourself as a servant and became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so it's through your death and obedience and sacrifice that we now have life in you, God. Help us to use that life to live in service to others, to live with the attitude that we find in you. Give us the strength and give us the encouragement to make it so. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.